Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today we are joined to, to get some insights into what the ECB has decided and what are the major implications. We are joined by Raymond Torres, Fucas Europe Director. Raymond, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for this invitation, Carlos. So, Raymond, let's get to the point, let's get started. And I wanted to ask you about the, the rise in interest rates. This is quite a big deal because the ECB, if I'm not wrong, has not increased interest rates for quite a while. and now. It is doing so as we are entering a quite particular circumstances when it comes to inflation in the Eurozone. Inflation is, is going remarkably high. Are there any other considerations that have forced the ECB to do this move right now? Uh, yes, hello, Carlos. I think that, yes, there is a very important consideration, which is not mentioned so much in the statement by the ECB itself, but it has to do with the exchange rate. In other words, the value of the euro vis-à-vis -vis the dollar as you know, the most uh, natural resources and commodities are priced in dollars. And the uh, depreciation of the euro vis-à-vis -vis the dollar has been really significant, uh, something like 15% over the past year. Therefore, this has added to the inflation momentum in Europe. And it has, as a result, exacerbated the loss of purchasing power of consumers and so on. So I think it's, it, it, it was uh, given that the uh, uh, Federal Reserve, the U.S. Central Bank, was ex increasing its interest rates, the differential between of, of rates of return, if you wish, between uh, the U.S. and Europe was just too large. And, and somehow uh, the uh, ECB uh, had to react to it and therefore reduce uh, at least a little bit the, the very significant gap which was emerging between the two sides of the Atlantic. And so this was an additional consideration to the fact that inflation per se was increasing. But of course, the difficulty was in the dilemma. I mean, you, you can try to contain inflationary pressures, in particular through the exchange rate uh, mechanism, but at the same time, you need to avoid the recession. That was uh, the, the difficulty. But I'm on, that, that's, that's one of my questions. It's, uh, I know it's difficult to find, to find the right balance between controlling inflation and not contributing to a recession in Europe. So do you think this is this 0.5% increase is the right balance uh, to, to, to pursue that goal? Yes, this was an impossible task anyway. So there was no perfect solution, especially since the ECB started very late uh, adjusting its monetary policy. But anyway, in this situation, this probably was the, the, the least bad of the solutions. Taking into account one very, very significant decision uh, which is the setup of uh, an instrument for the protection of the transmission mechanisms of monetary policy, which is, in other words, in, in, in real words, it means that the ECB has set up uh, uh, a, a mechanism against a possible financial crisis, a new financial crisis, speculative attacks against the debts of the most vulnerable uh, countries. Uh, notably, one can think about Italy, but also 
Belgium, Spain, and so on, and even even Portugal, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, th this was a simultaneous decision with the interest rate increase and the size of the interest rate increase, 0 0.45, which is more than what was announced in the beginning, a quarter of a, of a, of a percentage point in the beginning. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the end of the some countries had to accept a bigger interest rate increase in order for the ECB to set up this mechanism against a possible financial crisis. And this, this is another very important decision, which is very much welcome, especially since the conditions attached to it, and of course there are conditions attached to it, and are not so strict vis-à-vis -vis the previous uh, anti-crisis mechanism, which is the op open monetary transaction, transactions. Uh, and uh, I think that that's in a way is a movement in the right direction vis-à-vis uh, -vis the, the risk of a financial crisis in Europe. So there was some bargaining and everyone got what they wanted. So you, you would say that the nor more northern uh, central banks would be happy with this rise of 0 0.5 because I think this was discussed, the prospect of raising 0 0.5 25 rather than 0 0.5 so in the end they got 0 0.5 and and southern countries would be happier with this uh new mechanism that should prevent uh, a debt crisis like the ones we saw in the past is that the case yes in a way this was a balancing act it was through a larger increase in the interest rate than was originally foreseen and on the other hand a significant anti-financial anti crisis mechanism, which is, one has to remember, of an, a potentially unlimited amount. In other words, the ECB, if needed, could intervene in markets by purchasing uh, debt, public, and but also potentially also some private debt uh, in unlimited amounts in markets in order to prevent uh, uh, an overly high increase in risk premium between different uh, countries. And I think that was a balancing act. From the point of view of Europe, it comes at a bad moment. That's why I think it would have been probably better to start earlier with this process, because this is a moment when the, we, we're seeing uh, uh, news, bad news concerning the economic situation in Europe today. We had a, a, a bad indicator. The PMI, the Purchasing Manager Index for the Eurozone, showed a decline. In other words, we are in contractionary zone. Uh, so it doesn't, ha it doesn't uh, happen, this adjustment, at the best moment. But still, it seems to go in the right direction, both in terms of balancing the interests of different countries, but also in terms of what the economy needs. What about the ambiguity that uh, some analysts are pointing out that it's not clear how and, and what would trigger the action of this TPI mechanism? Yes, I think it's appropriate that the mechanism is uh, not entirely clear. In other words, the vague, the, a certain degree of vagueness is useful because, first of all, it's very difficult to predict what uh, the situation will be. There may be criteria in a, which are not necessarily predictable now, and uh, this needs to be kept in mind. But in addition, the, 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 the justification of this anti-crisis mechanism is that it should not be used. In other words, it's a preventive mechanism in order to prevent speculative attacks. So in other words, markets should know that if needed, the ECB will intervene in situ according to situations which uh, the ECB does not want to specify entirely at the moment. 
And this may be something useful uh, in a way, given the, the very uncertain situation we're witnessing at the moment. What about if the markets get uh, may test this? How reliable is this mechanism? Yes, indeed, uh, Carlos, is a very good observation because we may be very close to such a situation where the markets may test the the resolve of the ECB because of the situation in Italy with the Draghi, Draghi government stepping down and new elections happening with uncertain results, possibly some populist governments coming in and not necessarily uh, very strongly committed to Europe. And so this, this may be a situation where the result of the ECB may be tested. But, uh, well, uh, it, 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 for the time being, the, some of the criteria which are specified in this uh, anti-crisis mechanism uh, are, are, are suspended because it has to do with the fiscal rules, which are suspended until 2024. Um, and uh, until, until the new government comes, uh, the policy of uh, Italy... It will not be changed. So, in other words, I, I suppose Italy will fulfill this criteria as well as any other uh, EU country at the moment or Eurozone country at the moment. So, I suppose that until uh, September, the ECB has a good argument to maintain its stance and to show that um, all the currencies which are uh, now part of the euro will benefit from its support. And of course, whenever there is a new government, there may be another test coming, but I would say this is part of the political process, it will be very much for the Italian democracy to decide. How, how far are we from having a fully operating monetary union? Because I remember when, when the Eurozone crisis happened over a decade, decade ago, it was said, well, look, this is happening because we all have the same currency, but we don't have the same fiscal policy. And then therefore we are, we are weak, we are vulnerable against the markets. I mean, uh, how far have we improved that situation looking back to the past 10 years ago? How far are we from having a fully-fledged monetary union? Yes, it's not, it's not yet a fully-fledged monetary union, as you say, Carlos, and uh, two elements are missing. The first one would be um, a fiscal backstop. In other words, um, if uh, there is a, 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 an unforeseen and possibly asymmetrical uh, shock uh, it, it's important that uh, uh, there is a kind of common fiscal pool so that those countries most vulnerable to this shock would benefit from that fiscal support. I think that's extremely important because the ECB in and of its own may not be enough, even with this me anti-crisis mechanism, to address such, a, such an asymmetric uh, shock. And so that's still missing. Of course, some progress has been made with the next generation funds, uh, which are asymmetrical because they take into account the fact that the pandemic uh, had different effects on, on different countries, depending on the size, for example, of the services sector and so on. Uh, but I think uh, something more structural would be needed uh, beyond the next generation. The second element which is still missing is a banking union. In other words, the possibility uh, for, in particular, a common uh, deposit insurance mechanism so that, uh, let's say, uh, private savings are not affected by uh, differentiation in risk premium in public bonds. Uh, at the moment, there is a bit of a risk for banks in a particular country to be affected uh, by uh, the increase in the risk premium in the debt of that particular country. And therefore, uh, there's a risk of a flight of deposits to uh, safer locations and safer countries. And this is something which actually happens in the financial crisis uh, 10 years ago. So it's not a theoretical threat. At the moment, this is 
um, theoretical possibility, the ECB, in a way, through its various tools, is helping uh, reduce this risk, but it's still there. And it would be a, a very welcome, a welcome step to uh, make further progress in this banking union as well as the fiscal bus stop. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. I think you, uh, thank you for your quick reaction to what the ECB announced um, late last week. Thanks to you. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well. Thank you.